Hello. Makes you notice, doesn't it? A gravelly voice. A little bit of COVID. Dulls the senses. Addles the mind. It's time to enjoy the free-thrall experience. With no script. No preparation. And copious amounts of editing. So sit back. Relax. Switch off your phones. Actually, no. No, don't do that. You're, you're probably listening on your phone right now, aren't you? Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. Our friend is ill. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany And make a part in about time to about not playing D&D It was free to all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable that right kids i've got covid but um yeah i'm doing all right actually i'm doing all right uh it's mainly kind of manifesting as a, a dull headache at the moment largely i believe because i'm fully vaccinated um a bit of a woolly head i guess uh, feeling a bit uh, weaker than usual a couple of days ago, but um, yeah, like I say, I'm 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 doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, I've got a real packed episode for you here. Lots of great calls. I finally got around to sitting down and going through Lone Eons, David Blandy's solo version of his Lost Eons game. I didn't actually get to play a solo session, but I went through the character creation process. Anyway, you'll, you'll hear all that later on in the episode. Um, but like I say, I've got a lot of calls, so I'm going to dive straight into those. Spence, I just wanted to call in to say, you know what, mate? Um, listening to you talk most eloquently about um, Ursula Le Guin, it, it it gives me a little bit of um, encouragement, really. That uh, I, I feel <laughs> I'm not the only person with a, a pretty strong regional accent that's trying to make some efforts to push back 
against the uh, the standard English snobbery that prevails. Uh, going into the teaching profession, it's uh, hmm, quite frustrating at times. And uh, yeah, I just want to applaud your... Mm, what do you call it? What, what? Come on, Colin. I'm on tenterhooks. Is it tenacity, maybe, when academia and, and the well-spoken folks out there want to look down their noses? You just bah, pay no heed and plough on regardless. You keep uh, trying to better yourself and you play the hand that you've been dealt. Keep up the good work, mate. I'll catch you later. Colin Spike-Pitt Green there. Thank you very much, Colin. I don't know, I'm not sure what to say to that. That's a really lovely message. Thank you. Always great to hear from you. And, um, yeah, uh, especially when you're being that nice to me. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I guess it's, it's something that possibly concerned me a bit more when I was younger. It's funny, I kind of... I always feel as if I've had my sort of foot in both camps, if you know what I mean. Very much uh, on the borderlands, you might say, ironically. <laughs> you know, thinking back to my school days, kind of being in with well, the, the kind of kids who played RPGs back then. But I'm not a particularly academic person. Um, I, d I didn't do very well at school at all, but I had a very, I had a love of learning, you know, and um, so, you know, there is that autodidactic element. And uh, yeah, I've just kind of pursued knowledge. Yeah, just, just for my own kicks, really. Um, I guess having not gone into an academic field, as such, I mean, unlike yourself, I've never really uh, kind of come up against that snobbery, if you know what I mean. And maybe, maybe it's a fear of that that's held me back. That's why I haven't kind of ventured into that as much as perhaps I could have. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe shied away from it. And done something a bit more hands-on as far as a career goes, you know. I <laughs> just thinking about my my choice of work, you know. Being a, I was a cinema projectionist for for twenty years, and you know, obviously I loved cinema, and there's that element of entertaining people, but being behind the scenes, and also being quite happy in my own company and keeping myself to myself and not being interested at all in working my way up through the ranks in the company, much to everybody else's confusion. You know, I just enjoyed what I did and I wanted to stick with that. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken before about how I was somebody of who's always sought the easy route, the comfortable route. I don't know, you obviously caught me in a reflective mood here, Colin, because I'm really uh, 
going off on one, aren't I? Um, well, let's 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 nip that in the bud, shall we? And uh, I just just want to say thank you, thank you very much for your kind words and um, eloquent. Yeah, I'll take that. Cheers. And uh, I think you've got a bit more to say. But I'm not entirely sure these calls were meant for me. All right, Spence. I just wanted to let you know that I've been listening in again and your mention of Ken Loach got me on the uh, on the hunt. I didn't really know anything about the man and found a documentary that I uh, watched and discovered that he did Kez and that was a book uh, we read in school when I was in secondary school and I believe that we saw the film as well and it was something that popped into my mind as one I'd like to re-watch a while back and then uh, then lo and behold it's your man I, I, uh, I like these uh, kind of real life rich um true kind of stories although they're they're not always true stories what do you call them (laughs) Ah. oh i don't know anyway long and the short of it is i uh, i enjoy your recommendation spencer because you you're often picking out something that's got a a decent bit of substance to it and it, it even the most mundane of subjects um can can be really rich and in role-playing terms i draw on a lot of these uh, these characters that crop up in these documentaries because oftentimes you get these these interviews and stuff so they kind of kind of probe quite deeply into the people and you know documentary makers they they pick out some colorful characters at times and yeah i, I just find it really rich pickings for gaming when you, you want to kind of, I don't know, create that interesting down-to-earth character. Anyway, take care, mate, and I'll catch you later. I've got to say another couple of wonderful messages there, Colin, but I don't actually remember talking about Ken Loach. Now, he's someone I, I'm, I would talk about because I love his work, but I don't know whether it's the COVID or whatever, but... I don't remember mentioning him Uh, and I kind of, I don't know, I've been racking my brain, but um, yeah, I mean, his style of film, they do have a certain documentary style to them. Ken is very interested in the, the, well, the real life dramas of the working classes and, um, you know, that's very much what his work is focused on that sense of realism, you know, uh, real lives being depicted on screen. Uh, and uh, oh, Kez is an amazing film that I haven't seen in years, and I, I'll have to go and sit down and watch that again sometime soon. But um, did I really mention Ken Loach in the last episode? Um, oof, I'll have to go back and have a listen. And after all that... I think I've gone and forgot to mention <laughs> Hoxton Street, which was one of the reasons for calling. It's um, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it to you on Discord. I think I did, but maybe I didn't. 
and I can't even remember if I mentioned it on the first one of these messages because of course I'm recording on Anchor and once it's gone it's gone you you don't know what you've said until it maybe pops up on somebody's show ah oh, it, it's a laugh in it you got to laugh Well, yes, you certainly got me laughing because um, I, I you'd not mentioned Hoxton Street before and I'm afraid that in, in the context of that message, I'm, I'm not really sure why you're mentioning it now. I mean, I know Hoxton's an area in Hackney, um, uh, Shoreditch, I think, um, Hoxton Street. Um, I, I, what is it a show or something I don't know I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry Colin I really don't know uh, the context for Hoxton Street sorry mate hey Spencer it's Cody um, I am particularly interested to hear more about Orbital Blues so if you do get around to cracking that open, I would really love to hear about it. Um, I'm very intrigued by the, the genre. I'm a huge fan of the Cowboy Bebop anime, and it sounds like you could run a Cowboy Bebop game um, with Orbital Blues. <clears throat> everything, you know, from that, that show is uh, amazing. Everything from, like, the music and the visual art style, that, that you know, that era of animation is, like, creme de la creme for me. Uh, so uh, very evocative. Anyway, um I'll stop gushing and uh, keep on, I don't know. Anyway, uh, keep, keep up the good work, dude, and um, I, I look forward to hearing about Orbital Blues if you get around to talking about it. Later. Hey, Cody. Really great to hear from you, man. Um, yeah, Cody M there. Well, I was going to say the name of your podcast, but sadly, I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's been a while. Uh, it's great to hear you back on the mic. It's great to get a call from you. I uh, hope you're well, man. Um, yeah, Orbital Blues. I should definitely crack that open in a coming episode. I will do that for you. Um, I'm somewhat ashamed to say that I don't really know much about Cowboy Bebop. I didn't actually know it was a anime series. I was aware there was a film an anime movie that I've still yet to see. Uh, but oh, I, I am familiar with the soundtrack, though. I do love the music. I've, I uh, have listened to that on several occasions. Great um, jazz soundtrack. Really, really good stuff. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I really don't know much about the actual anime itself. So another thing on the must-watch list. Thanks very much, Cody. Why is Panic Mechanic so fun to say? Panic Mechanic. Panic Mechanic. Panic Mechanic. Panic Mechanic. And uh, Spike Pick can suck an egg if you don't like saying the word mechanic because Panic Mechanism sounds nowhere near as fun as Panic Mechanic. So, eat that. And thanks for introducing me to a new phrase, Free Girl, Spencer.
expenses are free for all. Thanks. Later. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Cody. Whoa there, though. You know, let's not start that old mechanic mechanism thing up again. Sorry, Colin. I hope you're not offended by that message. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we, we don't need to go there, do we? But yeah, I very much enjoyed your call, Cody. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and yeah, well, panic mechanic is fun to say. Hey, Spencer, it's Cody again. I was uh, just listening to the end of your podcast here, and you were talking about mostly harmless encounters. And um, by your descriptions, it sounds like it would pair pretty wonderfully with the game Ryutama. I'm not sure if you've heard of that one. It's a, a Japanese RPG. Um, but you can get it in English on the uh, on the internet there. Um, yeah, it's just about being like, um, you know, travelers kind of adventuring on the road and less about, it's less, it's, so it's like no D&D, right? It's not about like killing monsters and that kind of stuff. Although I think you can have fights and encounters in that sense. But um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. You might, you might check it out and see if you like it. Anyway, um, catch you later, bud. Bye. Yeah, Ria Tama. Um, I don't know the game. I am aware of it. Doesn't the 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 GM play a character in the game or something? Um, uh, uh, but I'm aware it's like a JRPG, quite a whimsical, light-hearted game filled with sort of. Uh, I'm imagining fantastic journeys and wise dragons and stuff like that um but yeah i i don't know anything about the game really beyond uh seeing some of the art which i feel you know conveys uh what the game would be like if if i knew what it was really like i imagine the art <laughs> conveys that pretty well that makes sense i'm gonna shut up now for a bit Hey, Spencer, Carl here. Yeah, I am keep going to ask you to run into the odd when you get a chance, and I will do everything I can to make sure I can schedule it so that uh, we can play, because it seems really fascinating the way you describe it. I really like that other um, game that you described from Osprey, sort of the space game that's akin to Mothership, and uh, would be interested to hear how that keeps going since you're playing with one of the authors, which is neat. So yeah, Osprey's put out some really cool games. I, I just got one that is like Wuxia, uh, kind of classic uh, medieval China uh, martial arts type of stuff. I've been enjoying Jackals a lot. And uh, I think, what else do you, oh, I, Paleomythic. I haven't broken that open or I flipped through it, but I haven't run that. But they have some really cool games, Osprey does. Thank you, Carl. Carl Rodriguez there from the GMologist Presents, GM Extraordinaire. And yes, I hear you. If I, or when I get round to running into the odd, I will be sure to let you know. You're certainly more than welcome to play, Carl. Yeah, the those dark places, the Osprey game, that was a one shot. So it's not an ongoing thing with the creator. He just uh, wanted to test out the scenario. And 
at the moment, the game, although I haven't read through the rule book entirely, it's primarily intended for one shots. I don't think there's much in the way of progression within the rules, although I could be wrong there. And Jonathan did say that he is looking to develop the advancement side of the game. Yeah, Osprey Games, I've got Paleomythic. As interesting as Jackals looked, I didn't pick it up, mainly because I've got far too many games that I haven't played yet. And um, I'm sure that's a very familiar position for, uh, for most of us. But yeah, yeah, some interesting stuff coming out from them. Thanks for your call, man. Hi, this is Anthony calling from the Casting Shadows podcast with just a quick message of thanks for on your recent episode of Mostly Harmless Encounters and, and other things, uh, your overview of these dark places or those dark places. Um, I really appreciate it. It's a game that I've been, you know, seeing advertised around, but I just haven't had the time to to get it myself and go through it. So you have given me another reason to push it up the list. So thanks for that, and uh, take care. Anthony, thanks for your call. Um, I must be doing something right if I'm getting calls from Anthony Runeslinger Boyd. Please check out his own podcast if you don't listen already. Casting Shadows. I'm glad you appreciated that um, quick overview. It's a very simple game, and I think it's primarily designed to be very easy to just pick up and play. As I was saying to Carl, the focus seems to be on one shots. Um, there's not much in the way of um, progression, character advancement, but. Um, Personally, levelling up characters is possibly the the thing I'm least interested in. You know, I, I do appreciate character development through narrative of play, you know, kind of accruing experience in a kind of uh, more at-the-table kind of way, you know, through actual experiences. But, yeah, just, just be aware of that if you are contemplating picking it up. I know you, uh, you're you playing Alien at the moment and getting on very well with that. And there is a clear overlap there in what those games are doing. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you appreciated that. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for your call. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Just listening to your latest episode. Great stuff. So, Urban Weird. I'm driving. Maybe I have to look it up. So, would the movie Wolven fall under Urban Weird? Or would that just be a cryptid? And I say that knowing that the Wolven, the titular characters or creature of that movie, aren't native to the urban, even though that movie takes place in an urban environment. Anyhow, I was just wondering about that. You mentioned a number of neat games and things in your podcast that I'll have to go look up. So my wallet does not appreciate that. But I hope you're doing well, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. 
Hey Jason, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And uh, yeah, is Wolfen Urban Weird? Well, I have to admit, Jason, I'm not familiar with Wolfen. Um, I'm aware it's a, as you say, it's a cryptid thing about uh, Native American wolf spirits. Am I, am I on the right line there? But it's set in New York. Um, what I do know is that it's got Albert Finney in it. So I'm going to be seeking that one out because uh, I don't think I've seen a bad film with Albert Finney in it. Although I don't doubt that somebody could come up with one. Anyway, yeah, is it Urban Weird? Um, I think there's more to Urban Weird than just than something mythical in an urban setting. I think that perhaps it's more to do with the atmosphere that the, the movie creates. But as I say, I'll have to go and check that one out. 1981, is it? Um, I'll get back to you on that. Also, as far as uh, you having to get your wallet out, I'd, um, maybe I should do an episode all about free games just for you, Jason. Uh, we'll see. Take care, man. Thanks for your call. Hey there, Spencer. It's John here for the Red Dice Stories. Just been listening to your episode 195. Found it very interesting. Particularly enjoyed your description of the sort of urban weird aesthetic. When it comes to the folk horror, myself and my wife have always been a big fan of it. Going back to the old like Wicker Man days and before that. And we've recently been trying to get back into watching and reading a bit more of that. So we watched a, a Shudder documentary on the sort of origins of folk horror. And that was very interesting. We also watched a recent film. I forget what the name is. It was like a, the name of the film was like a girl's name or something similar. And it was about uh, uh, a woman being thrown off a farm during uh, the old sort of like coal mining days back in Wales. And, you know, sort of villainous people trying to get people off their land. It was an interesting film. I'm not sure if I'd watch it again, though, because it was very, very depressing. Anyway, I enjoyed the episode, dude. Keep up the good work, and I'll catch you soon. That was John Allen Large there from Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. Thanks very much for your call, John. Yeah, that's a great documentary. Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. A history of folk horror. And uh, I'd recommend that to anyone interested in well not just folk horror but film in general it's just a really really good documentary that brought a lot of uh, films that I was unaware of to my attention and kind of shows this through line from, from late 60s early 70s um but but it actually it goes back to before then you know touches on literature and uh, books about witchcraft and and stuff like that but um yeah, I've been watching a lot of great horror recently. Not not just folk horror. That that's been inspired by a few things. Firstly, what we've been doing with Andy Goodman on Grizzly Peaks Radio, the whole discussion around horror there. But also the Universal Horror episodes um on Rob C's Down in a Heap with uh Jason Connolly where they were discussing the Universal Monsters over a couple of episodes there. There's also another podcast that I listen to called Hypnogoria that's done um, recent episodes following the 
universal horror films. And obviously, Jason's uh, own Nerds RPG variety cast with his, his episodes about exploitation cinema have fed into that. Uh, and you could probably trace this right back to a little project a few of us were involved in around creating games around the Hammer horror and uh, Amica movies. I want, I want to say that was early last year, but I've got a feeling it was probably even before then. But yeah, as far as watching movies are concerned, going down this folk horror hole, this year alone I've, I've seen uh, The Blood on Satan's Claws, which is a classic folk horror from 1971. Um, then more recently, The Ritual from 2017. That was a great, great folk horror movie. Black Sabbath, a classic anthology film from 1963. A dark song uh, with some serious occult business going on in there. That's from uh, 2016. Uh, the Borderlands, a kind of found footage thing from uh, 2013 with one of the boldest endings I think I've seen in any film uh, really enjoyed that also Robin Redbreast a wonderfully atmospheric made for British TV film from 1970 and uh, more more recently just the other day I watched a film called Ponty Paul from 2008 not a folk horror film but it certainly brings the weird I mean it's it's all about uh, three characters hold up in a radio station and all all you're getting is reports of what's going on in the outside world and um i thought it was a fascinating film uh, with a with a lot of really quite funny moments in it but equally equally unsettling and um the the film has really stuck with me and it's kind of uh because it's full of these like little random absurd moments and elements that kind of encourage you to try and find patterns and meaning in it all trying to trying to make some sense just trying to make sense of it make make it make sense make 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 it make 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 sense makes make it make sense make it make sense make it make it make 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 it make make Well, I've got to say, I'm quite taken aback by all those all those messages, all those responses to the last episode. Thank you, thank you so much for those those calls. I really, really appreciate them. So. Low Neons, I finally got to sit down and take a look at this thing properly. Um, I didn't get to do a solo session, but I did have a lot of fun uh, creating the character and and the haven that your character 
is leaving behind. The setting is the far-flung future. It's post-human. The world has flooded. And uh, what was humanity took to living beneath the earth and setting up these subterranean havens, these communities, where the, the, the setting itself is actually in the UK. It's in an area known as the Fens in uh, the, the East Midlands of England. And it is an area that is prone to, to flooding. And this, this area now is largely submerged in water, but this could be set anywhere. The story is essentially that a community that has lived beneath the earth for thousands of years and some event occurs, which means that characters have to leave the haven and explore the surface of the planet, the um, upside, I think they, they call it. And Lone Eons is a solo version of that game, which uh, David Blandley successfully funded on itch. In fact, it did so well, he commissioned a lot of new art for the book. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see that. But the solo Lone Eon rules are complete. And uh, I'll, I'll get into that now. So I, I believe I went through the the archetypes, the character classes if you like when I went through the main book and um, I basically rolled up a psych named Shale and um, just at the top of this little playbook you've always found yourself able to read people's feelings and intentions in an instinctive way sometimes using this to engineer favorable situations for yourself but this empathy also means that you've experienced the shock of sharing another's feelings, their pain and their joy. The character's attributes are divided into three sections, physical, technical and mental. And um, there are three stats under each of those headings. So physical is muscle, reflex and endure. Technical is hack, search and research. Mental is analyze, persuade and channel. And your attributes are basically measured by dice size. So your lowest attribute uses a D4. My character's highest stat is research, which is a D10. But your stats can go up as high as D12. Um, so, and I, I rolled all this stuff up randomly. So uh, Shale has the talent of insight. You always know when somebody is lying to you. Um, well, no, actually, that's not rolled up. That's on the that's that's on the playbook. That's your first talent as a psych. But I rolled up these random skills. Um, you are the one who listens, which means I get an extra die for research. Or I say an extra die. I mean the die goes up one on the chain. So that's why. Research is at D10, where it started on a D8. Uh, second skill is you have been your own keeper. So the die under endurance goes up one. So I've got, 
gone up from a D4 to a D6. So whenever you make a check, you roll a D6, which is known as your soul die, plus whichever skill you're using. So yeah, if I was using research, I would roll a D6 and a D10. And that's rolled against two D8s, which represent the world. They're called the world dice. For a success, you want to roll higher than the highest D8 world dice. However, if you don't make that, but you roll higher than the lowest D8 world dice, you get a success with a complication. And if you don't beat either of those numbers, you fail. And when I say beat, when you're rolling your D6 and you're rolling your skill die, you're not adding those together. You're just taking the highest number. So that's a, how you perform checks. As it's a solo game, you've got the Oracle and the Oracle uses a deck of regular playing cards separated into suits and each suit represents um, one, one represents location, one represents a being, one represents an event, and one represents a thing. That's essentially the, the solo rules. There are other elements like, you know, if you're supported by another character, you get to roll an additional D6. If you fail, you can push your luck, and, and it also utilises clocks much as i understand blades in the dark does which is a game i'm not too familiar with and i i'm not too sure about the clocks myself that's something i've got to look into and play around with but you've got an adventure clock a progress clock a danger clock all the characters can utilize magic but this is a potential cost of taking on a mutation uh, I think um, you can start as a spellcaster, uh, which means you take on a major mutation at character creation, or you can use magic, um, and every time you cast a spell, every time you attempt to use magic, you risk a minor mutation. As, as, that's as I, I understand it. Um, but back to the character, what was interesting about creating the character is also creating the, the haven that they're from. So um, I had to roll up some special traits that are common to the people of my haven. And um, I got uh, rooted, which means I receive a day's nutrition if still on soil for an hour. So that seems to be particularly handy if i can remain on soil for an hour stood still i can forego having something to eat self-sacrifice profound empathy can choose to lose resilience instead of an ally so i guess yeah taking uh, uh, taking resilience which is um it's like hp but it's not wounds and the third trait is connected can connect to an organic network. Step up one die when researching information. So yeah, if I can plug myself into, into something, then uh, that will aid me there. 
So, and then, then we go into creating the haven that I'm from. And again, this was all uh, rolled up at random. So uh, my haven is on the shore of an underground lake. This haven has no concept of gender as a social construct. Then it asks you to think about how that might affect relationships. And I, I figured that it might be more um, like polygamy would be more common, perhaps. A direct democracy, but with an elected leader. It's pre-industrial, so I thought maybe a combination of uh, subsistence, agriculture, and like uh, primitive communism. Uh, the upside is generally regarded as irrelevant. Uh, basically, because I feel that these people are quite self-sufficient, they're happy where they are. But also, uh, this community was once nomadic, rotating through several havens connected by underground tunnels. All but one of these havens has been taken over by outsiders. Now, this this conflict with outsiders comes up again through the random rolls, and it, it, I thought it worked out quite nicely. Uh, Teenagers come of age in this haven by creating a piece of art in the deep caves. It suggested that there's a reason why this might be a dangerous endeavour, and I figured that this would be an area that's in outsider territory. Um, all knowledge of old traditions was lost in a terrible plague a generation ago. The community has not recovered. So it's a young community. Um, and I figured this also suggested that perhaps the plague was blamed on interacting with outsiders, which would explain why they're no longer nomadic, why they're no longer um, not interested in the outside world. Because the next thing I rolled up was leaving the haven is forbidden. Doing so will get you cast out of the community. I figured that would be, again, that would be due to fear of disease. So if you're caught leaving, you wouldn't be allowed back in for fear of contaminating the community. So Shale, uh, I had to roll up his wants and his needs. My want was a curiosity. You want to know what's up there. Needs. Quest. You had a dream, maybe a vision, sending you on a quest to retrieve something from the surface. Now, when I was rolling up the uh, equipment for this character, I rolled up some wall walking boots. And I figured that because I had these boots, this allowed me to access the outside world in a way that wasn't readily accessible by the rest of the community. And it was my curiosity and these dreams that kind of led me outside. And at some point I've been observed leaving and returning to the colony. And uh, yeah, figured that that would get me basically thrown out. Having a pair of wall walking boots made it a lot easier than most to venture upside. But you've been careless. Others have seen you leaving and they are not happy about it. You've tried all you can to convince them it's safe out there. But the people have voted and you find yourself 
ostracized. And um, yeah, I just had a lot of fun putting all that together. And you know, that's all before the adventure even begins. So that's kind of, that's where I got to and that's where I left off. Um, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to return to that and uh, we can find out what happens to Shale once they've uh, left the haven and uh, entered the uh, world outside. So yeah, essentially I had a lot of fun creating the setup, um, but I haven't tested the system as yet. And if you'd like to hear a bit more about Lone Eons, um, there's a podcast which I recently discovered. In fact, Ray Otis of Plundergrounds has just put out a couple of fantastic episodes. He mentioned um, the Fantastic Fights podcast by Hieronymus J. Doom, who plays through the fighting fantasy books. Um, his most recent episode, he actually does a session of Lone Eon, so you might want to go and check that out. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.